All right. Good evening. It is uh, Thursday night, August 20th, with our weekly uh, podcast for the Intrinsic Value Wealth Report uh, radio. Um, so we always start out with a uh, with kind of a lead article from the um, uh, one of the, the weekly commentaries. And I wanted to, uh, the, the lead article I wanted to talk about tonight is um, one that was, I wrote based on a video uh, interview um, of Warren Buffett, where he gave an interview to, he actually does this many times, he's done this many times over the years, but um, this particular particular uh, uh, video he recorded, video interview, was in 1996, and he was talking to M the MBA class at the University of North Carolina. And um, I probably watched this video 25 or 30 times um, over the years, because I show this to quite a few of my classes. And what I like about this video is that uh, Warren Buffett talks about a, um, a concept which I call the three rights. Um, I don't think he necessarily refers to them that way, but, um, but he's very consistent in, in this philosophy that he has about the three rights. Um, so, in, and the three rights are what he uses um, to make good investments. So what are the three rights? Um, well, the, 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 here's the three rights. The first one is, so when, when Warren Buffett says he wants to, um, the, the kinds of businesses he wants to invest in are number one, the right business, with number two, the right people, and number three, at the right price. Um, and this is kind of the formula that he has used uh, you know, for many, many, many years. Um, you know, it's a very common sense um, approach that he uses to investing in, in businesses. Um, and the more I've you know, learned about, I've been studying Warren Buffett since probably about 1994, somewhere around there. Um, and, um, you know, I've, I've uh, you know, tried to look at uh, maybe algorithms or calculations he might use. I don't think he really uses that many. Uh, he certainly has has a concept of intrinsic value, and that plays into what the right price is. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but you know, he he just uses a very very common sense approach, as we'll as we'll talk about here in the next few minutes. Uh, to so he uses a very very common sense approach to um, to investing in businesses, and it's one he's just developed and and really mastered over the years. So again, the three rights are the right business with the right people at the right price, and he says this several times several times in this. Uh, in this video, I always tell my students to uh, uh, to watch for this so that they um, so they really get the, uh, the concept here. Well, so what's the right business? Um, you know, it, it's just real fundamentally um, investing in good sound businesses. Now, there's many components to what makes a good sound business, uh, but a few of the important components uh, that people that you know business scholars and business experts in general use, and that Warren Buffett in particular use, uh, particularly uses, is a businesses that have a competitive advantage. Uh, that have a wide, what Warren Buffett calls uh, an economic moat. Um, and uh, so, you know, you want a business that has this economic moat around them. And then you want to uh, have a, a business <clears throat> that has what Buffett calls franchise value. So the economic moat concept, you know, he always kind of says, you know, think back to uh, days of old, you know, back in the, the days of the knights and the, and the castles and so forth. And um, the castles would always be built with, with as wide a moat as possible. They built with alligators and crocodiles and whatever else they could think of. Um, and to keep the enemy from breaching the moat and getting into the castle. And so businesses want to do the same thing. Um, that's a good, you know, good uh, metaphor for, uh, for business people to think about is building this economic moat. 
Now, for the franchise value, um, Buffett kind of defines, and he uses a little story this way. He said, you know, if, if someone will, if you're in a store and you offer them, actually the example he uses is, is a candy bar. And, um, you know, and, and he says, you know, you can buy this, uh, you can buy a Hershey bar, but I'll sell you this other candy bar for a nickel less, okay? Well, if someone would buy that, the Hershey bar instead of the other candy bar, um, that's franchise value. So Hershey has franchise value with their candy bars because it's something that people would be willing to pay a nickel more for. He also uses the example of Seeds, Seeds Candy. And so um, uh, he has kind of a funny way of saying this. And he says, on Valentine's Day, you don't uh, give your sweetheart um, the, the cheap box of chocolates. You know, you buy them the, uh, the Seeds Candy uh, uh, and are happy to pay the premium price because, uh, well, for obvious reasons. Um, all right, so that's that, you know that's just a real, real brief discussion of the right business. So we're just looking for good, sound businesses that have some, you know, all these good characteristics uh, about them. Um, now, the right people means having a good management team. Um, and to Buffett, um, having a good, you know, management team means having competent people that are good at their businesses and know what they're doing. But even as important or perhaps even more importantly to Buffett, is that the people that he's working with, he wants them to be honest and he wants them to be people he can trust and people that he likes to work with. Um, and that's worked, again, worked very, very well for him over the years. Um, uh, he gives the, uh, the example of Mrs. B, they call her Mrs. Blunkett, I think it is, that has the Nebraska Furniture Mart. Um, just, you know, a real delightful, honest person to work with. And, um, you know, so so that's, that's the idea behind the right people. By the way, I would, would suggest that you Google um, the, um, this video, or you can look at our commentary. I did I put a link to that, uh, to that video. Uh, but it's, um, it's Warren Buffett giving the talk to the MBA class at the University of North Carolina. You can find that uh, on YouTube that way. Uh, or look at the commentary and I have a link to that as well. So the third right um, is a little bit more complicated. Um, simple to say. So the third right is that we're looking for companies they're selling at the right price. Well, what does that mean exactly? And to understand that, you have to have a little understanding of, um, of finance to understand things like intrinsic value. Um, now, a book I recommend to help understand intrinsic value, there's several actually I recommend again in the article. Uh, there's one by Dan O'Darren um, uh, called The Little Book Evaluation. Uh, part of the little book series, which you can get on Amazon or bookstores, Barnes and Noble or whatever. Um, and and Demo Darren uh, goes through this idea of how to calculate the intrinsic value and how to use that to make uh, good investments. But when you calculate the intrinsic value, and we've talked about that a little bit in past uh, uh, commentaries and podcasts, and we'll talk about that a lot more as we go forward. Uh, but we're looking at calculating, estimating a fair value price for the company, and then we don't want to pay really any more than that fair value price. And if we can get a good company for a little bit cheaper price, uh, that's the that's the best situation. So you know, read the commentary. You'll see the references. I have uh, four or five different references uh, to learn about intrinsic value. Um, so that, that you know that that's the the three rights: uh, the right business with the right people at the right price. And I think if we all were to follow that, and I try to follow that whenever I make investments, um, and I've done, done so for years since I kind of learned about this concept from Warren Buffett, 
um, it, it's, it's just a good common sense approach to investing. And, and I think we all follow that. It will, um, uh, it will work out for all of us in, in our, making our investment decisions. Um, so let's talk for a minute now, shift gears and talk about the, the current economy. You know, not much has changed since last week, um, last week's commentary. Um, we're still looking at a company, a country, an economy that um, has high debt. Um, we have a situation where the government has been flying around uh, uh, doing what we call dropping helicopter money. So the, the, the metaphor there is if you can think about government helicopters and they're flying around, they're dumping dollar bills out as they fly across the country. Um, and and that's, that's the stimulus programs that the government's been doing at, at all levels, federal, state, and so forth. Um, and, and they're doing that in an environment where production has very clearly been scaled back uh, because you know, businesses are shutting in, shutting down, going out of business, laying people off. So production has slowed down a lot. Yet at the same time, the government um, has been trying to stimulate things, stimulate demand by throwing out all this money. And we'll talk about this again in future commentaries and um, podcasts and articles as well. But, you know, um, uh, money is a monetary phenomenon. So when you, if, if you have a fixed level of production, okay, with a, a given level of prices, and you now all of a sudden dump a lot of money into the economy, um, at least in the long term, that becomes a very, very inflationary situation. If you theoretically, uh, you know, double the money supply, but you don't increase production, prices should roughly double, okay? Um, in the short run, what, what the economists are hoping, government economists and so forth are hoping is that they can actually stimulate things. And that's worked in the past. That's a very Keynesian idea um, that you might be able to, um, on a short-term basis, stimulate the economy. Uh, but in the long-term, um, many economists, I think even most economists would contend that, that that's really just an inflationary situation. So, and that's putting the government in even a higher debt situation. I see some students are joining, uh, some additional students. So uh, welcome everybody. We're just kind of finishing up the podcast right now. Uh, if you have any questions or want to you know, ask anything, please don't say your names uh, or you can say your first name if you want, but um, uh, don't say your last name because uh, we have to keep these uh, for um, uh, academic purposes. We have to keep confidentiality, but, but by all means ask questions and say your first name if you'd like. Um, anyway, so, from the economy standpoint, we have we have a you know we have government stim trying to stimulate the economy with a lot of money, and that means that, and that's probably inflationary uh, in its own right. Um, to do that, there the government's having to go into to debt. And we've had massive, you know, uh, a massive deficit um, several times now this year that the government's been running, and, and the debt just keeps piling on. Um, we have high, high unemployment, uh, and that's been fluctuating around a little bit. Sometimes, uh, you know, more recently, the unemployment rate has been maybe stabilizing, maybe even coming down a little bit, but then it kind of goes back up. We're still at a very, very high unemployment level right now. Um, and all of this is going on in a backdrop where, as I kind of mentioned earlier, we have really cut back on production. So think about what's happening here is that you have, you know, a high debt situation. Uh, with people unemployed, um, uh, inflation likely to happen because of all this money that we've been putting out there. But it's in an environment where there isn't production to 
absorb, if you will, that, uh, that money that's being put out there. And, um, uh, you know, and, and so the likely effects are, you know, continuing high debt levels. Uh, by the way, consumers were already at a pretty high debt level going into this uh, recession that we've uh, um, found ourselves into now, uh, as well as governments and, um, and businesses. That situation has gotten worse, um, uh, you know, during this pandemic and so forth. And structurally, so kind of the other component about this whole economy is structurally, the economy has been damaged in a very, very big way. I think that most people don't realize, the average person I don't think realizes just how bad the economy has, has been damaged in just the last few months. Um, as you know, we track the economy on an ongoing basis uh, with our commentaries. We list the, the headlines and so forth. And look, go back through, uh, we'll go back through the beginning of the year and just kind of see what happened. You know, things were, we were in a really great economy um, up until March, you know, some people would call it a Goldilocks economy. It wasn't, you know, not too hot, not too cold. Uh, unemployment was the lowest it had been in 50 years. Inflation was right around, was just under 2%. Uh, economic growth was probably around between 2 and 3%. Um, and I mean, it was, it was just a, it was just a great situation from an economic standpoint. And then of course, uh, COVID hit and everything, um, went down into lock, lockdown mode and, and that's, and that's the last few months have really structurally damaged the economy in a very big way. So many businesses have gone out of business. And the problem is, is that you can't, you can't restart those businesses um, real quickly. And so, um, you know, that, that's going to take time. COVID will probably be over, my, my best guess, from what I read and so forth, and hear the, uh, the health experts talk about. We've got a lot of vaccines which are already developed and in just final trials, and they're trying to figure out how to produce them and get them out. So I think the coronavirus will probably be, you know, at least somewhat taken care of, if not largely taken care of by the end of the year, first part of uh, next year. Um, but that's only the starting point of trying to recover the economy. So we get, we get the, the coronavirus under control, we can stop the lockdowns, people can start going back to work, trying to get back to some semblance of a normal life. But, um, but now, you've got, um, now you've got to start working on the economy, an economy that has been severely damaged and There'll be more damage between now and the end of the year. Um, so again, that's going to that's going to take some time. Um, now, the interesting thing about this is that the stock market um, has seems to be largely ignoring um, the the problems that are out there. Now, one could say, well, the stock market's forward looking, and you know they're expecting uh, the stimulus measures to to work and and coronavirus to be over and so everything will start getting back to on track very very quickly and of course that's the big question you know how how quickly will the economy get back on track um, but most people most economists uh, the Federal Reserve and other um, economists from around the world um, many of them if not most of them really recognize um, that this is not going to be a quick fix in terms of getting the economy turned around um, the, the last kind of official forecast I heard from the Fed was it would take, could take up to a decade. Um, but even if it takes, you know, three or four years, uh, that's going to be a, that's going to be a long time. So, um, so where, where does that leave us from? Oh, and, and so on, on the stock market front, um, you know, as you know, the, the market keeps hitting new highs. The S&P has been hitting new highs. The NASDAQ has been hitting new highs and so forth. So, you know, what's going on here? Well, there are some, <clears throat> You know some things to look at. Uh, part of the S, a big part of the S and P, 
are you know five big tech uh, five big tech companies uh, Amazon Apple uh, Alphabet which is Google's parent Facebook um, and uh, I was fifth fifth one anyway <clears throat> those big companies um, you know make up probably now close to thirty percent you know twenty five to thirty percent of the S and P so they're doing well they should be doing well. Um, the market's probably given them a higher valuation than they deserve. We talked about that last week, how these companies actually have to grow into their valuations. But, you know, they, sh they should be doing well. And, and, um, and, and so that gives some justification to the market rising. Um, but, you know, what about the rest of the companies in the market? And what, you know, what's happening there? And, and again, the, the economy doesn't justify, in my view, um, the, you know, the, the valuations the market's giving up. Now, let's remember that uh, the market is often wrong, and I refer you always back to that, uh, uh, that uh, chart that I have. So you have to look back at last week's commentary, I believe. I, I do it in several commentaries, where we're looking at the S&P 500 forward PD ratio versus the expected uh, or versus the um, subsequent 10-year um, uh, uh, return <clears throat> on uh, 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 on the markets uh, at the various valuations. And it's very, very clear there that when stocks get valued as they are now, um, you know, it's uh, historically, it's, 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 been, it's been a very bad situation. Stocks do tend to decline. And, um, and it's a very, very, uh, you know, straight scatter plot that you can look at. I, again, I, I recommend that you look at that, uh, that scatter plot, that chart, uh, just to see for yourself. And those high valuations where the market has gotten overvalued and then had um, a bad subsequent period of returns, um, you know, that's happened at least just by buying the chart about 20% of the time. So, you know, we can kind of say that the market has been, been wrong a good percentage of the time, maybe at least 20% of the time. So, um, you know, is, is the market wrong this time? Well, um, you know, we're not going to take big bets on, on the market. Clearly it's overvalued no matter how you look at it. Uh, and I think almost everyone would agree with that situation. You know, I follow the situation um, very, very closely and listen to all kinds of people talking. There's few people that would say that the market's not overvalued. So that leave us from an investing standpoint. Oops. I'm gonna see, we've got about nine people on. You guys can mute yourself, please, um, until we're done with the podcast here. So where does that leave us? Or actually, if you want to ask a question, uh, give me just a minute, we'll, we'll open it up for questions. But <clears throat> where does that leave us from, uh, from an investment, investing standpoint? <clears throat> well, again, let me just get a sip of water here. Again, I would, um, as we've been saying now for quite some time, the last two or three months at least, um, I certainly wouldn't jump back into the market in a big way right now, um, given it's... Uh, that's very high valuations. Um, but I also would encourage, especially younger people, to just keep an investment program going. Um, you know, invest in, uh, you know, if you have an investment program going with, with some, you know, uh, money you put into the market, just keep that going. Dollar cost averaging, um, invest over time. Um, don't stop that uh, just because the market is, is overvalued. Um, if you haven't started an investment program, do so. But again, <clears throat> do it little bits at a time, average into the market, um, and, uh, and you know, that strategy has proven to, uh, uh, to work well for people um, uh, over time. So let me see. Um, I think those were the, um, 
I think those were the main points. Any questions here before we wrap up the uh, tonight's podcast? I see quite a number of you are on the, uh, the call right now. Any questions at all? Let's see, did we cover everything? I think we did. Um, okay, well, that'll uh, we'll wrap it up for tonight. And until next week. Um, One second. Oh, go ahead, Gwen. Yeah. What do you, have you heard of the Robin Hood bubble? No, what is that one? Well, it's just this, I, this, this concept that blew up in this past year. Uh, mainly this platform called Robinhood. I know the it, like, platform. Yeah, it like just just in the fact that it like has allowed more consumers, more users, like compared to in prior years, you'd have to go through a brokerage firm and like pay commissions. Right. Because because people aren't paying commissions anymore using this app, a lot more people are investing directly into stocks. Yes. Yeah, I actually have heard of that in, in, a, in a, I didn't hear it called as a Robin Hood bubble, but yeah, I completely get it. You're absolutely right. And not only that, with so many people now uh, not going to the office and working from home or, or not working at all, um, that, that's also contributed to it. So yeah, no commissions, um, easier access, and, and just more time on their hands. Um, and, and people be basically being bored too. So yeah, good point, Quinn. Thank you for, for sharing that. Anything else? All right, guys. Well, uh, well, thank you all. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to continue this on Thursday nights um, or, or, or Thursday during the day. Um, the new commentary will be coming out on Tuesday, so that gives us a couple of days, kind of a midweek type thing. Um, midweek, at least in terms of the um, uh, the frequency of the uh, of the commentary versus the podcast. So um, thank you again. We'll wrap up for tonight and we'll be back on next week. So let me find out how to stop this recording here. There we go. Where is it? I'll stop.